Wow, that was great. So encouraging. Hey, we're going to have a good service today, and I, I guarantee you, if this is the only time you come here today, you will experience God today. And, and, uh, but I, I, I want to start up front, and usually people get nervous about this. This will not be a child-friendly service, so I recommend that if you have a child that doesn't, you don't want them to hear certain things, um, uh, and, and I know you get nervous. It's like, if this dude is warning us about the content for today, then it, it really could get there. So uh, uh, just know that I warned you, uh, but I will not pull back on anything um, that, the, that the Lord has laid upon my heart. And um, First of all, let me start by saying... Um, I'm proud of our church. We got, this really is a unique church. And, and one of the reasons why I think it's so unique is because of its diversity. Um, we, when, when the election thing went down, you know, we, everybody was kind of angry at church. I mean, angry at each other. And we all wanted to have civil war. And when we went through race issues, it was kind of like we were angry at each other and wanted to have civil war. I and mean, it's just been like on the brink of civil war for like a, a year now, you know, a year and a half. And, and so when the election happened, I brought Laurel up and she's a Democrat and I vote uh, historically as a Republican. And we held hands here and we raised up our hands and we declared that Christ is sovereign over our lives. And, 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 and we just decided that politics was not going to define us. And, and you, I, we lost some people over that. People think that maybe politics should be first and that Trump should have been first and whatever your political view should be first. And we decided that we were going to have unity in Christ first. And, and you guys took that. And, and I just want to salute you. So that kind of sets us up to this moment and this is not what the sermon's gonna be about, but we're in a very critical moment. There's legislation that made it through Congress and it's on its way to the Senate and the Senate has the voting power to enable it. The, the uh, legislation is called H.R. 5 and it will change, it is legislation about how we see sexuality in the United States, what we call it, how we define it, how we speak about it. Um, it, it deals heavily with transgender uh, issues and. Um, homosexual issues and things like that. And, and let me just first say, there does need to be a bill of some kind that protects rights of all Americans. There needs to be no bullying in the United States of anybody that does not agree with the way that you and I may think how they should be living their lives. So let's start off on that. There, the necessity of this bill may be genuine in, for some people in its origin, but it, it, it needs to be rewritten because there's too much government overreach in it. And that overreach will begin to change how we define sexuality for the last 10,000 years of anthropology, how we view human biology, and will change everything, not based upon scientific discoveries, but just because it, it would be equivalent to saying that the word east and west offend me, therefore when the sun comes up, we're no longer gonna call it the east anymore. We're gonna call it something else because the word east offends me. So it's not something that's being propagated because science discovery says, listen, wow, we've been wrong. We've been wrong about things for 10,000 years before. But in this case, this is not the issue. And part of what we're concerned about is that the overreach of the bill, though it may not explicitly say it, it does create the implied pathway that how pastors preach about gender, that God created as male and female, could be shut down. 
Definitely Christian schools would be, it, it could shut down Christian schools for teaching that God created us with a binary system of male and female. Also, it, will, it could, if it's enacted, it could wipe out all girl sports. Um, today happens to be the beginning of, of Women's Month. Isn't that kind of coincidental? Uh, it may be your last Women's Month. Uh, because it would say that that designation would no longer be legitimate. Um, it would require that churches, mosques, and synagogues throughout this country would modify their hiring policies, that we would be required to hire people of all kinds of beliefs concerning sexuality, regardless of our theological beliefs. It will overreach the religious act that protects churches, synagogues, and mosques so that we can believe what we believe, and it will superimpose over those laws into our churches. It will affect homeschooling and what is taught there as well. So let me reiterate, I believe in rights for all Americans. People who are transsexuals, homosexuals, and heterosexuals all need to be protected by our laws with opportunity. But we also need to protect one of the most fundamental rights that we have as a country, the right, the right to disagree. The ability to develop a, an intellectual skill called tolerance to get along and believe differently, which has been the hallmark of our incredible country that we have seemed to lose so much in the last 10 years. So let me encourage you. Uh, reach out if you have any political impact, and you do if you're a voter. Reach out and, 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 and make your voice be heard. Talk to your friends. Talk to, to people who are in elected positions and, and let them know about your concern because the overreach is astounding. And what could happen in the United States in the next year could be more dramatic than anything that we've experienced in the last year and a half. If you think wearing a mask for COVID is a problem, wait until that mask no longer represents a disease but now you're free speech. And that's the direction that we're heading. So let me encourage you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart. Bully no one and look not on your own interests but on the interests of others. But at the same time, living in truth and in love before God and towards all men. So having said that, as we go through today's sermon, and let me just tell you how today's sermon worked out. And it's, it's a doozy. And, and I'm amazed it's a doozy. I was sick most of the week. So much so that Thursday I ended up laying in bed just sick as a dog. And nothing you can get also. I just want to let you know I'm the only one here without a mask on. So uh, um, nothing you can catch. I have like a, I'm just going to kind of, I've got like a GI dysfunction system here going on. And, you know, it, it gets really bad for me and it just knocks me out. So I didn't have a sermon. I had already texted out to the staff, hey, good luck, guys. You know, see ya. You know, I'm on my way to the grave. This is it. I'm coming, I'm coming, honey. You know, I'm not sure who honey is. I, my wife's still alive, but uh, so I'll let that go. That's why I told you to get the kids out of here, because it can go crazy. Um, so, I mean, I really was ready not to preach. And so I had nothing. 
And then last night, it was like, okay, I felt a little bit better yesterday. People were praying for me, and I really believe that was the result. And then I'm like, honey, I got to go to church. I got nothing. And I've been there before where you're just trying to come up with something. And that usually takes, it usually takes me a week to write a sermon. Oh, I mean, I get it on, I mean, it takes me a week to get it on paper. So in one hour, this thing was finished. And I literally shoved myself back from the desk, and I'm like, what the heck just happened there? And I was just like, in 30 years of doing stuff like this, it never happened that fast. And then when I looked over it, I was like, this is good. I mean, this is really good. And, and there was nothing about me in it. So it was like, it's like, so I want you to realize that what you're going to hear today is one, I really believe it was inspired by God. Um, now, under the authority of Scripture, okay, everything you need to keep checking the Scriptures against me. Uh, that's your job. You're responsible to do that. But I also don't want you to just take that HR5 little uh, soliloquy and, and, and apply it to the sermon and, oh, he's talking about them. No, this is for us. This is for our church. This is for us sitting here today. So don't, don't go like, wow, he's really going after that crowd. No, no. I did not have that crowd in mind. I, I, I just needed God to speak to me, for me and for you, and I believe he did. So we've been learning about this power of stimulus, and we particularly learned that God knew that there was something lacking in humanity that we needed to be stimulated to love each other, to love God, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, it can be a great Bible verse, and you can put it on a placard in your house, but you know you're no closer to fulfilling it if you don't have something from God. It may be great Bible Belt rhetoric, but it may be even a good, inspired word from God. But yet, unless you have something empower you, a real stimulus package that takes you beyond you, then it is just one more thing that you can't accomplish. I mean, you give, you give the world uh, a gazillion more legislative uh, bills, but it doesn't mean it's going to change the human heart. So God, through Christ, tells his disciples that he's going to pour out his Holy Spirit in Acts 1-7. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right there in your hometown, in your home life, in all of Judea, the people you go to school with, you work with, you know, and you go to the same publics together. And Samaria, some of the folks that are different than you, don't agree with you, that are different color than you or have a different persuasion of life. And all the way to the ends of the world. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on people that have, have repented and have turned their lives over to me. And then we found out that on that day of Pentecost, that the Father poured out his spirit and all of a sudden, all these people just rushed in. People that couldn't get along with each other. You know, that the Bible tells us there was all kinds of different people in Jerusalem that day. And they all rushed in and were like, what the heck is going on? Something bigger than, than Judaism is happening. Something bigger than, than being Persian is happening or, or, or whatever background that they were. They were like, something big is happening. And this little fisherman stood up with the 11 other disciples and he began to tell them about the power of God, the power of stimulus. And the church was born, and the effect began to cascade throughout the world. You know, in my years of being a Christian, I, I, I have come to know the impossibility of Christ-likeness and living that way without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Oh, sure, I could modify my behavior a little bit. There are, you know, I could stop, you, you know, I was going to say I could stop using the F word, um, but I'm not sure I've totally succeeded in that process. But I, I now know it's wrong. And, and for some of us, we may not use that word in front of our moms or on, on church, or maybe we could restrict that behavior on a Sunday. So maybe with some good ethics and some morality, we can kind of corral the human spirit a little bit. But, you know, in a 30-year marriage... Good luck with that, okay? I mean, you can only do it just because Jesus said so for only a small amount of time. How many of us walk out of here every Sunday? Oh, God, I, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do that no more. I'm gonna, and we walk out of here, and by Monday, we have just totally destroyed our resolution because it takes more than a resolution. It takes more than legislation. It takes more than an ethic and morality, it takes something to change me as an individual and to be transformed. And so all my efforts throughout life, I've looked at trying to modify my behavior a little bit. And, and you know, northerners, we, we talk one way, and, but you don't talk that way down here in the south. We're in the Bible Belt, and we, we have an ethical code that we operate on. But, it, but what I've discovered by being in the Bible Belt now for almost 37 years and hope to God never leave the Bible Belt is that it was just a, a cultural ethic. It didn't mean there was more spirit of God there. It didn't mean that there was more followers after Christ there. It was just kind of a cultural thing that, that had happened here. And so God wants to bring real transformation to our lives. He wants it to happen inside. He wants it to cascade from heaven into our, our own thoughts. And another person, another Paul actually knew this as well. The Apostle Paul, he always struggled between the things that were right and the things that were wrong. He was, he was just like me. And, and I know also, how dare you talk about the Apostle Paul with such familiarity. It's because he's a human being. And, and Paul discovered that just being Jewish, just being a Pharisee, being born of the tribe of Benjamin and circumcised on the eighth day and all the other pedigree that comes with Bible Belt knowledge, he, he began to find out, you know what, that just doesn't seem to do it. I'm, I'm still kind of nasty inside. I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, losing my temper. I'm, I'm still fine that, you know, I'm just not pulling this off real well. And he wrote it in Romans 7, and I'm going to try to read it theatrically the way that I think the Apostle Paul wrote it. He says, don't get me wrong, for I delight in the law of God. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Love it. Love God. Want to serve God. Want to, want to just follow him with all my heart. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin that seems to just dwell in my members. What a wretched man that I am. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you, you delight in the law of God, the concept of God, the, the concept of goodness, the concept of holiness and purity and love thy neighbor and as you love yourself, the concept of loving yourself? The concept of loving God with all your mind, soul, strength, and all of a sudden realize it's like, man, as much as I love that idea, I just can't pull it off. As much as I love the idea of loving black people, some of us just don't pull that off. As, as much as I, you know, love the idea of loving one woman, I just have a hard time pulling that off. 
the, the thought of loving my husband and, and maybe even honoring my husband, it's like, yeah, yeah, I got a God, but I'll be honest with you, there's, a, there's something going on inside of me that says, no way. And the Apostle Paul was just like you and me, and he's like, I'm, I'm finding out there's a war going on, not just in society, and there's a war going on inside of me. So he began to discover this divine stimulus, the power of the Holy Spirit working in his life that transformed this persecutor of the church into a, somebody that was going to eventually lay his down for the, life down for the sake of Christ. What happened? He discovered the power of the Holy Spirit. He discovered that he needed something to happen inside of him, that ethics and morality and good theology were not enough. It wasn't enough to, to understand all the scriptures, but he needed something to kind of like get him beyond himself. And he discovered the power of the Holy Spirit. And after he discovered that, he rushed to tell everybody about it. So he began to write the epistles that we call the epistles of, of Paul. He began to write letters to tell them, hey, listen, I want to tell you about this. And he wrote one to this, this group of people called the Galatians. And the Galatians were people who were Bible belters. They were all about no selling liquor, liquor on Sundays, you know, uh, no smoking weed, no, you know, can't do this if you're a Christian, can't do that if you're a Christian, and then let's just make legislation, and, we'll, and, and nothing wrong with legislation, but, but we can't control people with legislation. You can maybe get them to obey the law, but that doesn't mean they become lovers in their hearts. It doesn't mean that they really are transformed inside. And so he writes this letter, and, and all these people, I hate to say it, but th these guys were all about, okay, I'm, we're cool with the Gentiles becoming Christians, but we need to give them the old snip-snip. And what's the snip-snip? It's like, well, they need to be circumcised because we believe you got to be Jewish in order to be Christian. And the Apostle Paul was like, what? He's like, wait a minute, that's not, that's not how this works. It's like, you, you need... You need the, the Holy Spirit in your lives. That's what you need is a transformation, the cutting away of the, of the dead heart. That's the snip-snip that needs to happen, is that something needs to change inside of us, inside of our hearts. Cutting the flesh is not going to do anything. Matter of fact, Paul was so angry about this in Galatians, some verse in that book, and he says, because um, that's how I refer to the scriptures, is that he, he said, I wish that these people who think you need to cut yourself, I wish they would emasculate themselves. And you're like, wow, that's pretty, see why the kids can't be here? It's the Bible. I just can't read the Bible in front of kids. You know, no, I, but it's the idea that, listen, you could keep cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and cutting and legislating and legislating and listening and promising and promising and promising until there's nothing left of you. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, we're just dead men walking. But we're dead men with better morals but what's that get you, you know? So he realized it couldn't be pulled off, and he discovered this stimulus. So, so here's what he experienced, and, and I have to be honest with you, this is what I've experienced in my own personal life. He writes in Galatians 5.16, I say to you guys, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Like, you need to walk by the Spirit. You need to have something of God in your life so that you don't give in to the desires of your flesh. That you need the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you on track. I know that some of us, when we hear this phrase, desires of the flesh, 
it stirs up imagery of some like medieval, you know, ninth century, uh, you know, crazy priest guy who's like, all sex is bad, all joy is bad, all food is bad, and all human activity is bad, and all of the earth is bad. And there actually was a, a doctrine that emerged from the Gnostics that actually propagated this idea that everything about your human experience was bad. Because they thought that this is what this meant. But it's not what it means. See, Paul, Paul wasn't saying it's evil to play baseball. He was just saying it's boring to play baseball. It's too long. The season's too long. Cut the games down. Five innings is enough for crying out loud. There's nothing wrong with, with doing photography of nature. There's nothing evil about working on your car and making it faster. There is a proposition that has been for forth by my son-in-law that if I put new headers on my 5,000-pound SUV, that it will be one of the fastest ones around. Okay? There is nothing wrong with that. So much so that when I was on my way to church, Emma McLean was in front of me. And I pulled up. We came to a light. And as we were at the light, we were lined up perfectly. And um, you know what that means, right? Okay? If you don't know what it means, you've been mistreating your car. Okay? So she pulled up, and I rolled down my window, and she rolls down the window, and she looks over at me. It's sweet as can be. Hi, Pastor Paul. I'm like, don't call me Pastor Paul. It's on, girl. And there, we, and there we were. And I know her parents are hearing this, but I said, you want to do this? And she's like, we do it. So there I am with my 5,000-pound SUV, and there she is with her Subaru Crosstrek with little stickers on the back and a little roof rack on the top. And light, and I'm, and then off the line we go. And we, we are flying down the road. Now, I said there's nothing wrong with that. But now I'm beginning to think that maybe there was a little bit wrong with that. Uh, but, but you know what I mean. When, when God said refuse the desires of the flesh, he doesn't mean don't catch fish. There's nothing wrong with about enjoying a, a vacation in the mountains or at the beach. There's nothing evil about romance. Let me be clear, when Scripture talks about the flesh in a villainizing way, it is not talking about the whole human experience. God created the flesh. The flesh has desires, it has needs, it has passions, it has wants, and God knew that going in. You know, he knew all that, and, and so, you know, God created this stuff. But when Scripture talks about the desires of the flesh, he's talking about that desires of the flesh that get hijacked into something else. I think you know what they are, too. I think we've all experienced when, the, when our desires of our flesh get hijacked. And, the, and Paul knows that. And so he decides to write a little bit about it just to kind of remind us, but I love the way he starts it off in Galatians 5.19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. <laughs> so he's like, don't fool yourself. Okay, you don't need no preacher to tell you when you're being bad. They're evident. Everybody knows when they're not doing what God has created them to do. Everybody knows the tension that comes when, when humanity goes off the rails, when we use our flesh, our, our, our humanness in a way that God didn't design it to be used. But he said, just in case I you need to remind you, let me throw some out there so that get everybody to get a little humble. So he says, the, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I love the theological emphasis, things like these. Because we all know what are things like these. We know when our nature gets hijacked, when we allow ourselves to hijack what, what we were created for. And every one of those things that are being hijacked are things that God really wanted us to experience. But they are the words of the hijacked version of it. So let me put together a list of things that represent those words when they're not hijacked. Sex, yes. Uh, uh, intimacy, honor, pleasure, worship, sound-mindedness, peace, ownership, wisdom, unity, self-respect, clear-headedness, and I threw in food and beverages. Why, why did I throw in? <laughs> that was supposed to be way much more funnier than you guys are giving me credit for. But seriously, there's nothing wrong with enjoying an adult beverage, okay? And God created all this stuff not because he wanted to villainize it all. is that he wanted us to experience all these things, but the hijacked version is what most of us experience. That's when our flesh, when our lives are not governed by God and they get, you know. So we all want these things, but we also let them get hijacked into a cascading dysfunction. And this dysfunction becomes so overwhelming that Paul warns us in Galatians 5.21. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I love that he used the phrase the kingdom of God because he didn't say these people will not go to heaven because we could compartment that but no he said you're not going to experience God's best whether you're a Christian or not you're not going to experience the kingdom of God the design of God for your life here on planet earth because of allowing yourself to go off the rails and be hijacked with using your life in a different way and God says, listen, some of you are not experiencing the marriage you can experience, the life that you could experience. You're not experiencing my best. Why? It's because you're allowing this desire of the flesh, this hijacking to occur in your personal life. You know, and it may have started off as harmless. But I kind of use an analogy of it. It's like it ends up like a plane that lands at a place you can't get back from on your own. I think they did a whole TV show in the early 2000s called Lost about an airplane that crashes on an island and they just can't seem to get off. But you know what? When they got up that morning, they all thought they were going on a vacation. They all thought they were just having a little fun. They all thought they were just, you know, you know I know it's not right, but we're going to do this. But all of a sudden, they find that they can't get back from there. And a lot of us are experiencing that right now. We've been, our lives have been, we've allowed it to be hijacked that we're now in a place where we just can't seem to get, can't make a marriage work. Can't just change my attitude about people that are different than me. Just have a hard time liking that husband I'm married to. 
Just can't, you know, that wife of mine, you know, and we, we find ourselves landed in a place where we can't get back from, even though it might have started off as something harmless. This is exactly my own journey into dysfunction in just four years. Now, here's where I'm going to get a little on the graphic side, but I'm just going to tell you about it. Um, I would say, and, um, and my daughter's sitting in front of me, but she knows all this because I, I've told her about the redeeming power of Christ. I, I think uh, I was probably a virgin until the age of 18, okay? Um, my first girl that I kissed was at 15, and I remember it was in the back of a bus at the, at the school I was at, and it was at a dance, and we both got into the bus, and I kissed her. But the problem was she was a smoker. Nothing against you smokers, but that, that was the first time I kissed somebody and she was a smoker. I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, golly, that's what we've been, that's what all these guys are after. So it was like two years before I kissed another woman because I thought they all tasted like that. You know, I, I was just like, that is some nasty, but I was wrong. I was wrong. But up to the age of 18, you know, no sex at all, no drugs at all, none of it. But something, some bell rang in me when I was 18. By the time four years roll around, I've done cocaine, sold drugs, done LSD, angel dust, PCP, been in trouble with the law, slept with over 30, I mean over 75 different women involved in orgies, involved in every kind of gross thing that the 70s could provide you in four short years. Now, parents, if you're upset with me, it's your own dang fault, okay? It's like, but, but why did I, what happened? It's because I just got on an airplane. I was just an 18 to 20-year-old guy, and I just wanted to have a little fun. I just wanted to take the airplane ride, and, and, and I just wanted to I just land on the island for a little bit. And I wanted to play around because that's what guys do at 20. That's what ladies do in 22. We just, we're just going to party a little bit. And, and then all of a sudden, I decided, okay, now it's time for me to get married. It's not time for me to accept Jesus Christ as Lord as my Savior. It's time for me to grow up and become a man. So I got back into my propeller airplane and, you know, uh, engine check, landing gear check, you know, throttle check. And you, that prop is, and a little smoke comes out the side. It's like, wow, there ain't enough God left in me to get that airplane off the ground. And, and, and there it was. And here I am, 62 years of age, some 40 years later. And to this day, I still deal with drugs. It's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Pastor Ball, what you doing? And I was like, no, I don't, I'm not using drugs, but drugs haunt me. You know, when I first heard my L4, L5, like 15 years ago, the uh, spine place uh, prescribed me, back then, it was amazing, that you get 90 Oxycontins in a bottle. 90, babe. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, uh, <laughs> boy, I just told on myself. <laughs> but it's like, they have a street value of $30 a piece today. How do I know that? I'm not exactly sure but I know that that's what the street value is. And I remember, and Deanna may remember it, that I got that bottle and I remember um, starting taking one and watching a Star Trek movie because they go really good with sci-fi. 
And then I remember the following day, I doubled up on the dosage, and it was like, wow, you know, this is amazing. And then I remember we were all sitting at the, they were all sitting at the dinner table, and the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. And it's like, Paul, you, you, got, you, know, you need better than this. And it wasn't my flesh telling me this. My flesh was like, what? You know, this is going to be like an incredible time. But the Holy Spirit said to me, dude, your life is over if you keep going the way that you're going. Nobody was telling me that. There wasn't, back then there wasn't all this fear about Oxycontin or anything like that. But the Holy Spirit said to me, dude, you're going to be on an island that you can't get off of. And the Holy Spirit empowered me. And I walked up to my family and I showed them the bottle and I said, listen, I want to let you know uh, for the last, days, last two days I've been misusing this and I can't handle these drugs. And I walked over to the kitchen and I flushed them into the toilet and, and turned on the uh, um, uh, uh, garbage disposal. And some of you are like, oh my goodness, I don't see God and I can't believe you're doing it. And I just flushed it down there. Well, the problem is, is that I live on a septic tank next to a creek. Two days later, I go out and walk on the dock, and there's like 30 fish all walk, uh, swimming around going, hey, dude. It all seeped into the water system, you know. I mean, they were as high as a kite. Go ahead and hook me. I don't care. Uh, but, but my point is this, is that it was the Holy Spirit that saved me in that moment. The Holy Spirit talked to me and said, dude, you can't do this. See, I, I needed grace. I needed empowerment to live the Christian life. I needed something better. I wasn't the kind of guy that just because I had new ethics that I was, was going to be a better husband. Can I tell you flat out? One of the biggest disappointments about humanity in my flesh is the concept of monogamy. Oh, who came up with monogamy? I mean, what a killjoy. I mean, I think guys and gals alike can agree. It's like, what, be married to one person for your whole life? Deny yourself? And I'm telling you, this is not a monogamous body. Not that I think it's worth, not that, let me just, let me just say, not that anybody's making me any offers, okay? But I'm just saying, there's nothing in my body after I got saved that said, you are now a monogamous person. no. What makes me love my one wife for 35 years and have such a delightful, incredible relationship with that woman day in and day out, good days and bad days? It's the Holy Spirit. It ain't me. And what makes me love that woman? Do you think I have a great marriage just because I married a better woman? Okay? That's a lie. And my wife will walk in here, and I told her about it. She'll walk in here to tell you that it is not in her flesh to be a better wife than my first wife. It is only because the principles of God and the spirit of God enable her to be the woman that she is. Otherwise, she would find herself stuck on an island just like all the rest of us human beings. You see, human desires and human feelings can no longer be trusted. There's a verse in the Bible, I don't have it up on the screen, but it's in, it's, Jeremiah wrote it, and he said, and I'm going to hurt your feelings with this, but he says, the human heart is desperately wicked above all things. Above all things. is that when humans are left to themselves, the worst of humanity begins to seep out. And I don't care how pretty, how cute, how Bible beltish you've been, or any of that. I don't care how refined or how many books by Jane Austen you've read. 
It seeps out of every single one of us if we don't have the Spirit of God moving in us. See, the answer is not found in the nature of man. Finding out and more about you. The answer isn't found in changing your human nature or calling it something different. You know, my heart breaks for people. Absolutely, and I mean it without a doubt, absolutely breaks for people who are confused about their sexual identity. Okay? And the thought that by changing the human body will change their inner dignity, it's not going to work. And people are already testifying to it. It doesn't work. You know, in altering a seven-year-old girl's body so that she can be a boy, when it's seven years old, what did you know at seven? But that's what we think. Let's change this by changing human nature. But the answer is found in the empowerment of God. So how do I get off the island that I've been hijacked to? Well, Paul had an answer for that because he experienced it as well. In Galatians 5.22, he says, but, but here's what comes from God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. It's like, this is where the change comes. The answer doesn't come from getting in touch with your feelings. See, every one of these are correspondent from the, to the list that he gave us earlier about the desires of the flesh. But here's the thing. They're from God. This isn't because you got sent to a Christian school that you've got these. This isn't just because you own a Bible or you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you've got these. These are the result of the power of God moving in the human soul. And unless we have this, see, and it says the fruit of the Spirit, the outcome of the Spirit is this. It's not the outcome of legislation. It's not the outcome of you being a better person or, or being a better version of yourself. It's like, no, this stuff comes from God. See, America's looking from a bottom-up solution. That's called humanism, where the solution starts at the feet of mankind and works its way to heaven. But Christianity says, no, no, it's a top-bottom solution. It's like you guys are stuck in the mud, and the, and the solution comes from God and transforms your life. That's where it happens. You see, benefit, the benefit in the working of the Holy Spirit empowers you to see the kingdom of God come into your marriage. That's what's going on with me. Am I a better man? <laughs> I never know what that means, but it just feels right, you know? <laughs> uh, is my wife a better genetically? Can I just say this? God is not here to affirm your heterosexuality. God is not here to affirm your homosexuality. God is not here to affirm your whiteness. He's not here to affirm your blackness. He's here that it's no longer you who lives, but Christ that will live within you. It's like, I know, you just got kicked in the proverbial uh, um, humanistic place, right? Well, I don't know. Disney World said, follow my heart. All those little princesses, they followed their heart. Frozen told me to follow my heart. Ooh, 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 oo
you know, you know what? That's a humanistic message, and it transforms nothing. You know, I'll tell you what, and prove it. Ask anybody here that's been married over, I was going to say 10 years. Ask anybody that's been married for over three years. That's usually when, the, when your first marriage fails. Just about three. And there's chemicals in your body that will keep you for the first three years. God kind of dopes you up to stay married for the first three years. After that, you better get something to heaven or otherwise you're not going to make it. Every one of those desires in the flesh is, is countered and supplanted and superseded by fruit, the fruit of God's spirit in your life. Yeah, I love this stuff. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Reassignment or relabeling of human nature will change nothing. It's a top-down solution, and it always has been. And whatever kind of Christianity taught you otherwise was a lie. Both Paul and I have had this experience. We both experienced life without God, and now we've both experienced life with God. How? And I'm closing with this. Galatians 5.24 says this, and here's the key. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, belonging is an important part, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Okay, not giving up fishing, not giving up football. But we know what, the, what he's talking about here. They said, listen, you know, I'm going to give that to God and I'm not going to let that determine who, my, who I am. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's how it happens. I kind of sum it up this way. One, surrender yourself to God. Stop hopping from church to church to find a church that affirms you being you just the way you are. No, it's all about identifying with Christ on the cross. It's all about losing your life and not seeing your humanity as your definition. Second, recognizing that affirming human nature is not the end game. That's not what God's looking to do. Third, ask God to fill you with his spirit. It's not a practice that we are taught a lot in the Bible Belt. We're all taught about like one thing, altar call. Go to the altar, accept Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And then stop drinking so much and don't use the F word and come to church on Sundays and give us 10% of your income. And then you can be a member. <laughs> it sounds so ludicrous when I hear it said out loud. But how long have I preached it? Now, it's to ask God every single day to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to give you a top-down solution. Top-down solution from the Creator. And then fourth, to begin the practice of listening, following, and walking in step with God. Spirit, what are you saying to me? God, what is your word saying to me? Help me to deal with my wife, Susan. I mean, she goes off the rails sometimes. I know you see her every Sunday and she brings your little children in and she's so pretty and, and all this wonderful and she's got that nice southern accent. Don't let you be fooled. <laughs> There's a wicked heart in there apart from God. No, come on, man. You just screwed up your life. 
No, my wife will come in here, stand right here, and tell you it. But it's rather, what have I learned? I've learned that the Spirit of God, if I listen to Him, and if I follow Him, and I walk in the principles of God and His Word, and be empowered by God through His Spirit, that, man, I have, I have one of the most amazing marriages in the world. A tramp like me. Matter of fact, on the inside of my wedding ring, when we got married, it says the lady in the tramp on the inside of our wedding ring. It's because she knew where I had come from, what I had walked through. And the Bible says, how can an Ethiopian change his color or a leopard change his spots? A young rich man came to Jesus and said, what, do I, what does it take for me to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he listed all the behavioral modifications. And then he realized, after speaking to Jesus, that it was impossible. And the disciples were all sunk and sullen. It's like, wow, God, it sounds impossible. And he says, oh, yeah, it is. It is. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I wrote this in an hour. Okay? I, uh, I don't know how I did that other than the Spirit of God. So as we go into this moment of expressions, and I'm sorry we went a little longer. It was all the fault of those people getting baptized. Um, it, uh, God, if you came here for God to affirm your flesh, if you've hunted down a church that thinks just like you do, you're wasting your time. God is here to empower you to, empower you to live beyond your flesh so that you can say, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I don't know exactly where that is in the Bible. I'm not that kind of preacher. I don't know the verse, but I will tell you this. It's right here in my life. Fully alive, sharper than a two-edged sword. The Spirit of God. Let me encourage you today as we come for communion. Don't let it be just a Bible Belt thing. Let this be a time when you surrender your life to God. That you realize that you're not here for Him to affirm you. You're here to be transformed by Him into something new. A new creation. That's God's plan. That's the end game. And ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit every single day. And you'll find yourself taking off from that island that you were stuck at and experiencing new life. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for not just my conversion or my acceptance of a theological, philosophical worldview, but I thank you that you baptized me with your Holy Spirit, that you filled me with your Holy Spirit. And through that Spirit, you enable me to be better than me that I can really believe and feel and sense that Christ in me is my hope of glory. That it's almost like it's no longer me that's living, but Christ living in me. Thank you so much. The world doesn't need another Paul. It needs Christ. So Father, we surrender our lives to you and we ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit today and tomorrow. And if you speak, we will listen. If you lead, we will follow. We praise you, Lord.